it time to get weird? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm here, Andrew Clay Schaefer, back again with Jess, partner in crime, and we got a new friend today. I'll, oh. I, I'll, I'll butcher his Chinese name if I try to say it, but I think he usually goes by Henry. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I'm Henry. Um, right now I'm one of the battle maintainers, uh, which is a JavaScript compiler. Um, and yeah, I've been, I left my job a year ago uh, to do it full time. And I have two podcasts. <laughs> two podcasts uh, we're only up to one so yeah <laughs> i don't know why i got like so into it after the first one i'm actually i want to make a third one which is just the battle podcast um so that's kind of weird but <laughs> we'll see so you you say you went full-time open source maybe let's talk about that for a minute what, what does that mean to you and what what advice would you give or warning would you give to anyone think about that that's a good question. Warning. Um, I, I think I probably wouldn't advise people to just do it. Um, I, so I guess the background is that when I joined, I used to work at Adobe um, and I joined that because of, they found me through open source, like working on a, a project that they helped maintain. And then like a year after that, I was like, oh, I'm not really doing any open source. And I thought I was joining there to do more of it. And because of uh, just regular work, um, and you know like deadlines because of like yearly conferences stuff like that and so like even that idea of 20 percent time doesn't always come up and so i asked my boss like can i do this full time or and they said ended up telling me i could do it half time um so i just thought that was awesome because that didn't see that was kind of unheard of and after a while of that i realized that i did want to do it full time and, and they they kind of i kind of talked with other teams to see if there was a sometime opening for that kind of thing. I didn't see any other companies uh, willing to do that. So I ultimately decided to leave. Um, and that took like a year of thinking about it. Um, but I really wanted to do that because it's like the team was great and work was good and all that. So it was a, it's a good situation. It's just like, do I really want to do this? Um, and I think, and then looking back now, like what, what does open source full-time mean? I think when I first wanted to do it, I think it just meant to me that I just spend my job writing code, um, doing that meaning open source. But I think when I decided to leave, I wrote like this blog post about it. I was thinking at the time, I don't want to just be someone that writes the code, but maybe thinking about holistically about the project, maybe things that people might not necessarily pay me for unless they just gave you like, I guess, control over how you want to spend your time. So that would be like, um, you know, whether it's working on getting new contributors or just um, just like this idea of coming up with the podcast. I feel like if I didn't leave, I wouldn't have almost like the mental capacity to think in that direction of like, hey, let's do a podcast about faith and open source. That just seems like a weird thing to do. Or like a podcast about um, interviewing, you know, a librarian about open source, like stuff like that. So I think it was more, I, I think I wanted the freedom to be able to work on open source in a way that didn't mean literally just writing like features and fixing bugs of kind of the things that I liked in open source ended up being around like community and like people. So. So I have a question, you know, what is, when people say open source, I think they often don't mean the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. When you hear, you know, business leaders talking about it versus, you know, you and there's a big spectrum. 
So, so just for the sake of discussion, what is, what does this mean to you? What is open source to you? Yeah, I guess, I think normally it is just the code, but I think when you get more involved as a contributor and, and then as a maintainer and just being involved in the community, it becomes about, yeah, like community, um, that it's not just the source code or even GitHub, but like all these, the context around it, um, maybe, you know, it's like meetups and conferences and just meeting it's, new people. It's Slack channels and mailing lists and documentation and like all these things that make it happen. What it is. Yeah. So the communication channels, but um, I don't know, just like being able to think a little bit more broadly, maybe even more like a company kind of thing. Right. Um, and having different roles, like there's people that do, you know, marketing or not sales, but like evangelism of your project or getting people involved. Like, so many things that people might not think of when they're getting involved at first, but uh, especially when a project gets a little bit bigger, uh, you might think a little bit more about those other things. Yeah. So then you did this full time. How do you get paid? And, and like, how is that going? Yeah. Um, I guess it's going really well because it's been like a year and a few months. Uh, and it's still doing this thing which is looking back is kind of, I, I guess I definitely didn't expect it. I was just kind of, when I decided to quit, I was like, I'll just go for it. I saw like, you know, Webpack, which um, they raised a lot of money through Open Collective and then Evan Yu, who works on Vue.js um, was doing pretty well. He basically convinced me to do it. Um, even though it took way longer after he, I would talk to him about it. Um, he was saying that like, in a way, even though it's really risky to like leave your job and, have to do this thing and and then learning all this stuff that you don't know about um whether it's like figuring out your health insurance or taxes and like setting up a company or all these random stuff um in the end i guess like the, it's like the worst case is just that you get another job that's not that bad it's just hard to convince yourself that that's okay to do and to take that risk yeah um, i feel like i have a certain viewpoint of like this but i'm curious yours like as to like who you know that like works at companies on open source and then who you know that like does it more independently and like what the ratios are like to you yeah i don't feel like there's a lot of people that are doing the independent thing like i feel like most people i know are just they either do it for fun in their volunteer time or they're they're paid like just to do that like they like say like Facebook and React or something like that. Um, I think recently some people, like there's a few people that are doing it, but I don't know if they're like, like at this point I am making like all my funding through these platforms versus maybe other people have to do like contracting or like consulting. I haven't had to do that. Um, so. So you don't, you don't do any consulting. You don't have any contractual obligation. You get all of your funding through I mean, maybe you can explain sort of yeah. like breaks down right now. So you you mentioned like Open Collective and Tidelift and mm -hmm. some of those other things. And then yeah, yeah. yeah. So the I guess a little bit of history is that the only reason why I made the Open Collective at first was because another maintainer of ours, Logan, he actually left his job uh, and just started to work on open source for fun. And I was like, well, Open Cl Collective came out at the time and Webpack was doing it. So I was like, hey, we should just set up one so we can pay you. And so I started out for him and then 
um, we weren't really getting anywhere with that. Um, it was pretty low. I think it was like less than 10,000 a year. Um, and I feel like by the time I quit, he already decided, like I was asking him, Hey, we might be able to like actually make a lot if I spend the time to, we spend the time to work on this stuff. But I think at that point he was like, I don't want to do this for my full time. I just want to get a job again. Um, kind of thing. Cause I think he was using his savings and all that. It's hard to live in New York on $10,000 a year. Yeah, that is nearly impossible. I feel like that would be almost impossible. Like, yeah. not in the city, maybe like outside the city somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it definitely like grew. It was like this. It's definitely like the hockey stick type of thing, where it's like in the beginning, it's literally nothing, and then um, yeah. When so when I quit, uh, you know, I just you just announced that I wrote a little blog thing, blog post about why and what I want to do with it. I set up a Patreon. That the first. Like that first day, I actually got like three thousand a month. But I guess the f- two thousand of those, yeah, three thousand was just like two people that decided to do that like for one like one time. Um, and I this whole actually the whole year the Patreon has been at like one thousand five hundred every month. So it didn't actually increase at all until like recently for some reason people started donating again. Um, but in the meantime, our open collective because that started like basically a year earlier that I feel like that had a lot more momentum. So maybe there's a whole like inertia or like the rich get richer kind of thing where like, it's almost that like once one company decided to donate, so like say Facebook, they did it like a thousand a month, which is a lot when you have nothing, even though compared to what they have, it's like, I guess zero. Um, that was a lot. And then slowly companies start donating more maybe. So, so the, GitHub just announced the sponsors feature. Right. And to me, like there wasn't really a shortage of ways to pay people um, before, but okay, that's a new thing. But for someone who's looking at this landscape, deciding, oh, I want to support a project. Like how would you recommend, or how do you think about the differences between all these different, different options or, you know, why, why one would be better or worse than another? Yeah, um, I guess GitHub sponsors in its current state is more like Patreon. It allows individuals to fund other individuals. And the nice thing is that because it's native to the platform, like it's right next to the star and fork button for every repo if you turn it on. And it has like a little heart and like it, you can see it. And when you click on it, the nice thing is that you can actually link to other funding sources so if you have open collective you can just use that instead of the GitHub, like the actual github sponsor which is nice because before you would have to put in your readme or on your website they might not see it and i think it's just good just because more people will know that projects can be sponsored i think even now you know a lot of people know about patreon but maybe the majority of people don't know that projects can accept money um so maybe from that point of view it kind of hopefully changes that perception maybe it could be in a bad way too um just because it raises the awareness because it's right at the point where you would yeah. that repo right um and then also on the profile for each person and then when you look at their or you hover over their picture you also see if they're a sponsor or not um yeah I, and also you know github is in a good position to do that because patreon is not really about developers it just happens to work for anyone like it's just like i feel like from a developer point of view using patreon is just like a payment service like there's no reason why i like like patreon and it feels in any way more than any other platform it's just because i feel like they're more for like just creatives in general and i think most people a lot of artists that have patreon yeah. yeah like artists or people that do videos um or music 
the discoverability uh, for like open source is way better when it's like integrated into the coding platform versus Patreon probably. And then right. how it's like a, compare yeah. that or contrast that with the open collective or Tidelift stuff? Yeah, so for those, even just those two in general, um, since we were talking about the individual thing, open collective has traditionally been used. I mean, you could do it for individual too, but it's way better for like a group or a project. And so instead of sponsoring like Henry, you can sponsor Babel and then you we have to decide how to divvy up the the funding. And then you can you can put in the admins for the repo. Um, and it's all a lot more transparent. So like, you know, all the, all the people giving funding and then you all the people that are taking out funding. Um, and then also it, Open Collective itself is uh, open source as well. So you can contribute to it. Because they have like this ledger almost, from what I understand, is that they have some sort of ledger that like where you see where the funds are going. So almost like if someone was to like contribute to someone on Patreon, like they could do like whatever they wanted with it. And yeah. then collective, it's like you could still do whatever you wanted, but it, you would have to say what you're doing kind of. Kind of. I mean, you could, you can get around that by just putting a vague message. Like you could be like, it depends on how you want to use the money. And the weird thing is that you're kind of free to do anything you want. And so in a way it, it does complicate things a lot. Um, I think that paying individuals makes it way easier because you don't have to think about it. It's like, I just want to support this person because I think they do good work. Why should I have to decide like, I'm going to spend this money on rent or like, I just want to like spend it to go on vacation. Yeah. Instead of like saying like literally I spent like X hours doing this. So it becomes more of a contracting thing versus just like, I want to pay myself a salary. I think the best goal is like, I don't want to have to think about like all these individual little details. It's just like, I want to get paid and then work on stuff that I'm interested in versus like having to decide every single little thing. Um, it, yeah. It's just like, it's like definitely less, you know, freedom or whatever you want to call it. It's just, um, I don't know. It's just, do you really want to get paid like that little amount just to open source? I don't know. Um, and then Tidelift too is an interesting one. Although like, yeah. I, I like would really love to hear an example of someone doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what to say that much to say about it. it. It's, it's, you know, there's a, it's kind of supposed to be like a Netflix or Spotify of open source where you companies theoretically pay a subscription to Tidelift itself. And then they have, um, I guess not access, but like, yeah, I, I'll, start, I'll just say access to all the packages or maintainers that sign up on Tidelift. And then theoretically, if there's an issue, they could ping them and say, like, can you do this kind of thing? So it could be like, the base level thing that you're supposed to do is like maybe all things that you would want to do. So like having a change log, reporting things that are insecure um, and just like when you're releasing stuff like that. Um, but I, I'm assuming later they'll want to do stuff like, Hey, we can do, basically they're kind of like a middle person. They can do sales for you. It's like, Hey, if you want to do features, you can talk to us to do it. Or if you want, consulting or support hours you can do that but in the end like a lot of these platforms you could do it on your own too um it's just like are people willing to put in that work because most people just want to write the code um or they just want to develop the program and then get paid for it then that's kind of like a service that does it for you um but i, I think that open collective or github any of these could do all that too yeah 
I mean, I think one of the one of the things that's sort of interesting, and, and I spent the last 10, 10 years making a living off of open source or open source related um, activities. I, I feel like at some point there's a limit to how many kind of individual contributors can contribute to each other. If there's not a little bit more yeah. conventional um, business Definitely. involved. Um, so it'll be like, like I said, Mango, I don't, I don't think there's a shortage of ways for any individual to pay another individual on GitHub for whatever they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that doesn't necessarily build, it doesn't necessarily build value and it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily captures relevant value. Like the, the amount of value that's created by open source projects is not always reflected in the value mm -hmm. that's captured. Right. Totally agreed. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Nadia wrote an interesting post about this too. And I agree with it's like, with when I think about like YouTube or like Twitch, the streamers and the video makers there, they have, you can subscribe to them and you can also donate to them. But they also do have sponsors. So they have sponsors for actual companies that just put their ads on their thing or they sponsor them to make a video for them, like specifically for that. So they have both. So I guess in a way, as, maybe as long as we don't think that for like somehow like all these individuals are gonna pay their salary, unless they're like super popular, have lots of followers. Um, I think it's fine to think that if individuals wanna pay, that's cool. But ultimately, yeah, maybe for most people, they're gonna have to talk to companies. Or yeah, or my... the companies need to be the ones sponsoring yeah. because like if they're the ones that are like heavily profiting off of like this code yeah. and the stuff that's actually being maintained like then it is really kind of their responsibility i mean this, yeah. this, is, this is definitely the the edge of the philosophical arguments like why why is it their responsibility yeah what, what's their what's their responsibility under the under the license that the code is released under. I mean, they, they, they legally have no responsibility, but I think from the, the, like, there is an integrity kind of responsibility of doing the right thing and like supporting others maybe more, <laughs> but there is no legally binding thing, which is why, like, I think that they just get away with kind of what they're doing right now um, because no one's really holding them accountable because they don't need to be. The, there's literally no mechanism to do so. Right. Other than yelling on the internet, which, you know, we've tried, so. <laughs> yeah. We, we expended all those resources. <laughs> so there must be another way. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm skeptical that changing a license is ever going to do that because people are just, they don't like, they, everyone likes MIT and that's just the default. And if you do anything like GPL type stuff, companies will run away anyway, so. Um, I mean, even sure. if you change your license, people are going to yell on the internet. So, um, <laughs> I mean, like you could add a feature and people could yell at you on the internet. So. <laughs> yeah. Feels like everything you do. Like I remember <laughs> I added a deprecation message to Babel version six because we added a new major version and it's supposed to be an exciting thing. Like, Hey, new features and all that stuff. And it was like, I made it kind of long and I put some emojis in there and then like, one group of people were like, wow, this is amazing. This is so informative. And another person's like, this is spamming my console. Why did you put this in here? And like, this is the worst thing ever. I was like, what? <laughs> it's just a deprecation. Yeah. There is no winning ever. People but, will so, always be mad. Yeah, there's a fundamental constant of the universe that people are going to yell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's hard to, yeah, I think 
thinking about like the both sides of this thing in a way and the part of the point of open source for some people at least is that you shouldn't well we're as maintainers we're all free to work on this project or not and maybe this gets into burnout too but um yeah there's also nothing legally obligating any of us to work on open source either unless you're working at work i guess and then you want to stay there um most people are volunteers so like they can decide to leave too and everyone else i guess can decide not to pay so but it's just weird because like for the maintainer we're the ones with all the guilt and you always feel like you're not doing enough or that when you are working and you're not doing the right thing you can't prioritize like i this whole year i'm just like what am i supposed to do there's no boss it's like you're supposed to figure it out and then you're you're not like not sure if you're confident enough to make decisions because you know that it's going to have some kind of backlash or something um, but i it's like i want to feel free enough to just work on things that are important and then people you hope will just trust you to work on that but let, let's, let's go ahead oh, I, was, I was gonna say i think there's like this like weird kind of parallel or like dynamic in that like maintainers feel guilty that they aren't doing the right things but yet then you, on the other hand you don't have the companies feel guilty that they aren't actually like paying for these projects that they're using so no. uh maybe like maintainers should feel less guilt and then we should instill more guilt into the companies you know can we just transfer it like almost like a blood transfusion <laughs> It yeah. feels like a fantastic arbitrage opportunity. <laughs> the The segue I want to make is he he mentioned burnout, and there's there's a lot of factors that play into that. But one of the things that that I think is maybe interesting that we sort of touched on is how much the users some of these projects feel that maintainers are obligated to them, right? Even yeah, though, exactly. Even though there's zero transactional yeah. relationship. Yeah, I, it's really interesting because, yeah, I, I don't know why there's that sense of entitlement with things that are free. Like the more free it is, the more people expect things out of you. But I don't know. It's like, are we, as a maintainer, are you able to let go that you don't have to do any of that work? I, I don't know. It's just, I don't know why that became the default. Um, or we got the people that are maintainers are just people that like helping people and then they feel like the skill. <laughs> We're all sharing that. Um, there could be a commonality in people's personalities, honestly, of people who contribute to open source. Yeah. I wonder if we could measure this. But, but the point I wanted to make is people can be downright abusive to maintainers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it gets really bad because I, I noticed, um, like, in a way, it, it kind of transfers to the maintainer, too. Like, when they feel that sense of entitlement, then the maintainer is like, well, I spent all my free time doing this. You deserve to, like, treat me well, which they do. Um, but it's like, I can't make anyone do anything either. And it's like, the worst part is if you start acting to, like, new people, and then they are like, oh, this is what open source is like, and then they don't want to contribute. It's like this cycle of, like, everyone yeah. getting mad at each other um and it's hard to stop yourself from that and like just learning to like step away from things i, I feel like i mean this is just general work culture right like the answer is working more rather than just stepping away you're saying the answer is working more or no, no, the, the culture is that the answer is working more when yeah, we should yeah. be taking a break yeah yeah the produ productivity fetish yeah efficiencies and like all that stuff 
Um, well, like one of the side effects of burnout is like you feel incompetent. So then you try to become more confident by working harder. It's like this like catch 22. Yeah. Hmm. So there's other things that I think are interesting about burnout. What, not that you are burned out or have been burned out, but, but like, what do you see in the other maintainers or even yourself that like helps you like we just said, oh, like work harder or step yeah. away. Is there, is there like some, some kind of, I mean, I'll, I won't speak for myself, but it's like, oh, like I made this podcast as a creative outlet and then, oh, like that gives me some energy, like do something else. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think so. Um, especially the first one I did, open source. I think, I mean, it's all about open source. And I feel like in the end, it talks about like kind of, talk about like motivation and like all these things and i think there's that that whole like you want to do things just because and then you like feel like you have to get paid for it later or you feel like i don't know do we feel like as maintainers that people are obligated or not and like it, it like am i okay that people are making lots of money off of my work and in in a way if open source the point of open source is just give away for free you know and we think about the two sides like the consumption and the production um, in some sense, as long as um, the production side doesn't get affected, meaning like if, if say no one ever complained and people are just using it, which there are plenty of companies and people that I don't even know are using it and they're just fine. They never complain or anything. And maybe you wouldn't feel as burnt out because you don't feel like you have all this work to be doing. It's just the things that you want. Um, I don't know if we're conflating the people making lots of money with the actual like oh i have a thousand issues and notifications issue like those maybe i don't know if they're i mean they're all interrelated but sometimes it feels like the real reason for the burnout is just thinking that you have to do all this well there is a lot of work and then you feel like it's your obligation to do it versus anyone else um and that's besides the point of actually making money from open source like i think maybe a lot of people would be fine with just doing for fun they don't feel any guilt they don't feel like they have to quit their job they their job's great Knowing, knowing that people are making you know, literally hundreds of millions of dollars off of <laughs> sometimes on the open source projects themselves, do you, do you see yourself transitioning to maybe trying to do things more commercially or, or capturing more value from the work that you're doing or, or, you know, like how, how do you see not to like put too much pressure on you, but, but like what, what's the next, like, ambitious goal that you have for yourself and like how does that relate to code and, and maybe how does it relate to to money um yeah i guess i feel like i'm still i don't know thinking through or struggling with this it's like yeah in a way you know is it our are we supposed to capture all the value that we have and because there's a lot of it um especially if you're a big project or should we kind of just like let go and not stress out about this kind of thing like I don't you don't need to be making millions of dollars but maybe maybe you know open source developers should I, I'm not sure um and I don't know like I one of the things I've been thinking about too is just like thinking so much about money is just like I don't want I mean it already, it already does affect like what our goals are in life and what we want out of it and I think thinking about so much it like, makes me not it's like I'm thinking more about the money rather than open source or coding in the first place and I'm not, I guess I don't want that to happen even though maybe I can't really stop that from happening yeah I guess I'm scared 
<laughs> I mean, I think for me, you know, my motivations were not really for money till I started having more obligations to other humans, like children. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah. then I wanted resources, not because I wanted like nicer things, although nice things are nice things, uh, mm -hmm. but I wanted them to have nicer things. Right. So I don't know, like where you are in your life and, and like some of this might, might change as you kind of like go through and evolve some of those other aspects mm -hmm. of your, of your existence. Yeah, I feel like money also doesn't buy happiness, happiness. From, from knowing a lot of people who have a lot of money and like they are incredibly unhappy. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, but it, it's, a, it's weird because it's and talking about money is hard, but like, yeah, everyone needs, you need money, but then yeah. it's like at some point, it's like not really anything. It's like, but then, and then also thinking about like doing good in the world, it's like, you know, do you want to get rich so you can like give it away to causes that you causes care about? You or care do you want to do it as you're going? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it depends like, I mean, I would like to have the ability to give away money in ways that I found most meaningful versus like someone else who probably didn't value the same things. But also like there's living comfortably and then there's like working yourself into the ground trying to live comfortably and very rich for the rest of your life which is not like necessarily great <laughs> yeah yeah and then, like even as a developer i think a lot of, especially in the u.s like developers have it pretty well off so it's like you know what do i want to sacrifice for those things and then also you know thinking about doing it full time it's like do i actually want to work eight hours every day and like do the same thing as before in a way like what i was part of the trade-off is saying that I would rather make less money so I can do what I want. Um, yeah. but it doesn't mean I have to do it 24 seven, just like before, like before it'd be like you work. And then maybe when you have free time, you're doing open source after work. And then now your whole thing is open source. Then it's like, you find, maybe you found you have new hobbies and you have other things that you want to do, or just, I, I like this idea of just trying to be a little bit more holistic about my life and thinking that, not that everything has to be connected or anything, but like, okay, my faith and open source is related or work and whatever aspect of my life are not that different. Or like, you know, if you read some random book, maybe it's fiction or nonfiction, like that can still be applied to open source because it's about people. Like ultimately we learn all these things about people and it helps us do that better. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm just learning, um, you know, the next framework or like some tools all the time, right? No, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, like now, because now I've had time to do whatever I wanted <laughs> for a long time. And like, it's nice because now I do get to read books on whatever I want. Like if, I was even talking to Sarah Dresner, who I know you also know yesterday about like how this three day weekend was cool. You know, like maybe we should only work four days a week um, yeah. or just like spending time on what you want to do, which is I think like way better than like when your second job was open source. Because like for me, like when I worked on open source, then I also had a second job of working on open source too. So it's like, just doing what you want full time then. <laughs> yeah. And I guess in the expectations of the, when people are donating to you, like what are they expecting you to do? And then what do you want to do? And sometimes that doesn't, uh, I guess it doesn't always align. Like, I think, I don't know what are people expecting me to like, just write code for this thing or like, is it okay that I'm spending the money making this podcast? Cause that maybe I'm just trying to think about open source as a whole rather than the project specifically. Yeah. I don't know if that's, 
okay I think, or, I think it's your money to do with what you please yeah, like it's not exactly. like living up to other people's expectations or whatever it's weird just that like when I had a salary I never thought about like in that way of how I was supposed to spend the money you just spend it because how you normally spend it but then when you get crowdfunded you're like so cognizant of like how much money you're getting and I almost feel like you're like do I even deserve to get this from these people for this uh, for you know for what I'm doing and then I don't like it's like yeah I'm trying to stay away from this like transactional mindset even though I mean I guess with crowdfunding it's not really transactional because there shouldn't be any expectation of that stuff but um, it's so easy to get into that mode um, and people talk about like, you know, if someone gives you $5 and then they, even if they don't at first think that you're worth that much, like over time, like, oh, it's their $5. I can ask for more things, stuff like that. And so what I tried to do with my patron, at least, and I guess with GitHub sponsors is I changed like all my tiers, at least for the amounts that I think people, individuals will give at to just be things that I like doing and they're not like obligations. And so a lot of, other creative patrons, they might be like, I'll do a piece of artwork for you for um, like every month if you give $100 a month or something. And that's like a lot of extra work. And then you're just like putting a number to the work that you're doing versus what I'm doing is like, hey, I guess like if you give $7, then I'll play board games with you. But then you have to be in the city with me. And I call it seven because I like this game called Seven Wonders. I just picked a random number. Like if you donate $11, then we can play ping pong because we play at 11. It's just like it's funny stuff like that. Um, or like I like Korean barbecue or, or, or like playing a Mario Kart or something. So that way, like those are things that are not, they can't really tie a value to them. They can't happen all the time. And I think it's more meaningful because you're like actually in person and you can have a relationship uh, versus like, hey, I paid money for this piece of work. So that made me think of two questions. Uh, one is, are you, are you sponsoring other maintainers or other projects? Uh, and, and then like, kind of like, what's the ratio look like or, you know, how much you put into that? And then sort of unrelated, but definitely related to my interests is uh, what kind of board games do you like? Okay. Um, so right now I'm not paying anyone from my Patreon, although I, I'm thinking about how we would do that, if anything, um, or other projects. I mean, so a lot of people have suggested um, Open Collective and, and also maybe probably with GitHub because I'm assuming they have dependency graph of all the things and you could like trickle down the thing. But I just think that like, if we don't have a lot of money already, why are we, is it even a good idea to give like $1 to like random dependencies? Like, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Like I would rather give like all the money to one person if that was enough for them to go full time rather than give, you know, 10% to 10 people or 1% to 100 people. It's just like more effective and actually changes things rather than just like, here's a dollar. Um, I don't know if that yeah, that's why I think companies, companies being a part of like the sponsorship will be huge because you can like just in one go, like change something. Yeah. Right. So that, that's definitely the next step. It's like, you know, random people that work at those companies giving $5 rather than just the company themselves giving um, yeah, it'd be nice if we introduced some not, weird not type. $500,000. Yeah. yeah. Uh, enough, I mean, enough that's a basic salary uh, or a good salary. I mean, that's a really good salary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it, it, like when we are open collected as like 200, 300,000 now a year and it's like people think that's a lot and it's like that. And then if you do quit, then you have to pay for all this extra stuff that you didn't have before. 
and it's like you have to make way more anyway um so yeah i, I don't know and just i guess the cost of doing it on your own has a lot of other problems right so yeah in a way yeah you should probably be making more healthcare all these things i mean at least with the current system we have now it's like such a such a headache and and quite expensive so it's nice to be young <laughs> yeah i wish i was like if you're young enough you could still be under like your parents or something but yeah um and then what board games you like oh yeah um I like a lot of the, I guess, newer Euro games. Um, I guess recently there's been a huge board games craze because of Kickstarter. Um, yeah, I like Seven Wonders, uh, Dominion. Um, uh, I guess Sushi Go is pretty similar. Uh, I guess, and then also like code names because a lot of people don't necessarily like board games, but most people like code names because it's pretty simple and it's and it's fun. And you can like, I think it's a great game because it works with any amount of people like odd or even people that can go in and out as a word game so like it's pretty fun how about you i i I play chess almost every day and then uh i don't know i like i just like games in general like the notion of games and kind of studying (laughs) the dynamics yeah yeah same um i mean like ticket to ride ride, on like all these kind of games are pretty fun yeah, um, an interesting one. I put this in a in a talk I gave. I don't know why. I was trying to relate it to open source. It's funny. Um, there's one called Hanabi. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard of that. Um, it's it's kind of like solitaire with four. I I don't know how many players. I think at least four. It's four players, um, but you can't see your cards. You can only see everyone else's cards. So you put your cards in front of you, and then you have four cards. And there's like a number like one through six, and each number is like like red green, blue, yellow, and then you have to sort, like, do, like, the yellow one and the yellow two. You have to do it in order, but you, you can't look at your own, so you have to tell people, like, hey, there's, like, three greens on that side, that kind of thing, and so the whole game is just trying to, like, more of a deduction type of game. So, so do you do you choose how to play your cards, or... I, I like these games where there's, like, mixed information, like, no one has yeah. all the mm-hmm. information. Ch- chess is interesting, because, like, there's no hidden information. True. It's also like super, there's no chance and there's no hidden information. Anyway. Yeah. Same with Go, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Go uh, Go is like way too subtle. I, I like, I, I stayed up to watch the AIs beat the humans mm-hmm. like the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was cool. But like I'm a mediocre Go player. Yeah. I think I barely understand the rules. Um, the rules are so simple. That's like the, the game is like, the, the game is so deep because it's so simple in a way. And then, but that this is kind of coming back to computer stuff. The, mm-hmm. the theory of go has been fundamentally changed as an impact from the, the AI's mm. like change, it changed like some of the, the master play and like understanding at the highest level because the AI's were making these moves that were, you know, provably, provably better than, than like, the traditional theory but but also like no one had seen them before no no one thought of them before right right yeah. um that's interesting <laughs> i think that we might be able to call it now as an episode that feels okay. that feels weird enough for one day sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay um thanks for being on our show
Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, this was fun. Awesome.